called the show one time for the DJ. All right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There you go, right there, though. All right. Ah, uh, yeah. Back in effect, it's Capital City Podcast. I'm your host, Capital J, alongside my main man, DL Glass. And as you know, or as you may not know, first and foremost, I'm a DJ. Hmm? I am a DJ, a disc jockey. Okay. You know, that's the beginning and the end. Hmm. Go DJ. That's my DJ. Damn right. <laughs> now, we celebrating 50 years of hip-hop. Yes. And arguably, the first 15 years of hip-hop were really about the DJ. You know, you think about the early rap groups and their influence and all that. You know, they would, it was Eric B. and Rakim. It was Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Right. It was Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. The DJ got top billing. Now, I don't know if you saw the you saw the get down. Netflix. Right. Right. You remember there was a part where um where the DJ when they knew they were about to start making records, and DJ was like, you know, what what am I supposed to do? You make records and the music's already there. Right. What am I supposed to do? And I think that that scene kind of summed up the beginning of the end for the DJ's participation in the actual recording process and the presentation of hip hop. Right. You know, I, I come from an era where, you know, the songs were made for the DJs mm-hmm. and and when you perform hip hop, you know you didn't perform with a pre-recorded track. Mm-hmm. Perform with a DJ, right? And um, and that's that's how how it started. So I think it's important that you tell uh, to the novice uh, why the DJ's name was first. Well, back in the day, all right. First of all, when when they give credit to the pioneers of hip hop, you know, it's always <clears throat> Africa Bambada, Cool Herc, Grandmaster Flash, their names come up over and over again. Right. As pioneers of hip hop. Mm-hmm. Well, that's three DJs. Okay. And there's one more, since we're representing North Carolina, there's a guy from Edenton, North Carolina, whose name should be right alongside those other legends named Disco King Mario. And you know he 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 cut his teeth in the, in the Bronx, but he moved to New York from Eden to North Carolina. And in the early days of hip hop, an MC was there to put shine on the DJ. You know he enhanced what the DJ was doing, talked about what the DJ was doing, and over time. You know that that got kind of lost, and um. But if you think about like the reason those guys are pioneers in hip hop, it it's self-explanatory that this thing started with the DJ, the dancing, mm-hmm. break dancing for lack of a better term. Right. You know you do that because the DJ's playing the best parts of the song. Right. Over and over again. Rapping, for lack of a better term. You're doing it over a beat. Instrumentals created by the DJ from the best parts of the songs. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. So the DJ was so instrumental in the creation of hip-hop. So let's go back. We know we like to start where? In the beginning. In the beginning. (laughs) Now... You know, so many people credit you know, the, the the party that Cool Herc threw as the beginning of, of hip-hop. But, you know, there's plenty of information to say that, that that was just one of those types of events that were happening on the regular in the Bronx in the early 70s. 
And all these were orchestrated by DJs. Um, first, um, you had to have a killer sound system. Second, you had to understand what kind of music. Like, even though there were no rap records at the time, the DJ, a hip hop DJ, didn't play music the same way that other DJs played it. Right. And it wasn't the exact same kind of music. You know, a hip hop DJ is going to put on um, a James Brown record. Is going to rock the the funkiest part of the song over and over again for you. The MC will come in, kick some lyrics over that joint. The dancer's going to dance. The crowd gets hyped, and it's on to the next record, and you break that down. It's different than what a disco DJ was doing or what your average DJ was doing at the time. So we talk about... Hurt, Bambada, Grandmaster Flash, and Disco King Mario. All of these DJs are operating during the same time period. But they had their little areas where they're the most popular. Mm-hmm. And you remember we watched the movie Wild Style, right? Right. Like Busy B, for example. Busy B was put on like... That was Disco King Mario's MC. Oh, wow. You see what I'm saying? Right. So he's the guy on the mic hyping up what Mario's doing. And they all came from the Black Spades. Mario and Africa Bambada were part of a gang called the Black Spades. And, you know, to my knowledge from what I've, what I've heard since I wasn't in the South Bronx at that time, you know, you weren't getting too much done without their blessing. <laughs> right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're not going to bring a thousand dollars of well, back in the day, five hundred dollars worth of equipment out and think it's gonna be safe <laughs> after you at this time to pack up unless you got their their blessing, so to speak. And back then they call it Bronxdale. Bronxdale. That was um that was a a, a section, a housing project, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, you had um, you, know, you had multiple housing projects, but Bronxdale was one area, and you know, the Black Spades ran that. But Africa Bambada was a spade, as was Mario, or at least affiliated. And so the DJ was the headliner of the show, and the MC. You know, for years, I got to think, if this thing started in 71, 72, we didn't start getting records out of it till 79, mm-hmm. 80. So for eight years, this thing's been going on, and the DJ's been the orchestra. So before, before the rest of the country heard it, the DJ reigned supreme in the world of hip-hop. Right. Hey, so in my readings, and this might be a little bit off topic, but we're talking about um, Cool Hurt and the early DJs. Um, how familiar are you with the Jamaican influence of um, hip-hop as we know it? Well, like, there was there was Jamaican influence in the way that the sound was presented. I would say more so than, you know, like, you got to think who's around at the time. Like, you know, this is hip hop is not necessarily a Jamaican thing right. is, is the, the way they play their music uh-huh. is something that infiltrated hip hop. And we adapted later. Gosh. Probably, you know, like think about how heavy bass lines influence in, in early reggae music and sky. Mm hmm. But hip-hop was already happening. Okay, okay. You see what I'm saying? Okay. That right. makes sense as, as to what I read. Because I was like, um, I think the, the term they used was D, DJ um, Cool Hurt wanted to bring, um, I guess, the 
the the essence of hip hop back to Jamaica. But they because they was traveling the world, the Caribbean islands and all of that stuff, and it makes sense of what you're saying, that it did influence the sound of hip hop, but hip hop was already going. It was already yeah, it was already right. happening. Okay. So Cool Herc is a Jamaican and they had a big you know, they, they had a like their thing was sound systems. But okay. you had cats in the street right. that already had big sound systems. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And um so, you know, I'm not trying to take away from the influence of, of Jamaican music or the, you know, or any Caribbean aspect, Caribbean no, you, aspect. But, you just said it. Yeah. But hip hop was, is, is a New York mm-hmm. thing. Right. You know, everybody. Born here in the, in yeah, it's, it's, it's an American invention. Right. Right. And, and it's, it's been influenced by all types of other cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, even punk rock, right? You know, a lot of the Absolutely. early venues that that held hip hop parties also hosted punk rock. You know, you you can yes. you can find plenty of um plenty of videos of people explaining that Grandmaster Flash and and people, groups like the Clash, you know, they performing at the same venues back in the day because they're both fringe fringe genres, right? And everybody wasn't was not open up to that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so these people partied together sometimes. I think the first time I saw it and this is a shout to the I guess the staple in the um triangle is Berkeley's Cafe. And um the first time I went to Berkeley's Cafe, I was surprised at how many quote unquote punk punk rockers was there the night that it was a hip hop open mic night. Hey man, even even in Greensboro, the the club that I that I cut my teeth at and really got my name out there was called the Turtle Club, and oh. we did two to six two to six a.m. Okay, damn. The first part of the night, they had alternative punk rock style bands. Oh wow! And the dude, you know, the dudes that owned it, you know, they were into hip hop too, mm. but you know, they opened the door for us. Right. You know, hey, I got the spot. You know, once the band go off, y'all can have it till 6 in the morning. Right. And we in there rocking. And it wasn't about drinking or doing all that other stuff because the bar is closed. Yes. You know, you take a nap and you wake up at 1, get yourself together, and you come out there in sneakers and T-shirt or whatever ready to rock all night. Hmm. You know? So... Back to the influence of the DJ, when when hip hop went to wax and they started making records, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know the the essence of what hip hop had been for eight years already started to change, right? Because it's not about like the DJ can't use those records to create the same type of music that's been going on in the clubs because this record's already copyrighted. Right. Okay. Okay. So before there's a sampler, you got to think the invention of a sampler helped kill the DJ's influence too. Because the DJ was bringing the record back and creating the loop live. Right. So before you record, and that's why they used to use old, you know, old disco bands in the background in the early days because that's the kind of music they were rapping over. But they can't have the DJ just come in and cut up heartbeat by Tanya Gardner. So when Treacherous Three may feel the heartbeat, have a band come in and replay it. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Right. Good times. They didn't, you know, they've been cutting that record and rapping on that beat. Then it's like, yo, we have somebody come in and play good times. Right. And Sugar Hill got got rappers delight. Hmm. But you can best believe that that was somebody's routine in the club before the record came out. Right. But they were doing it over over the actual record. So now all of a sudden you got Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, but Grandmaster Flash isn't doing anything on the record. Right. But he's been a part of this group for years already. He's the centerpiece of the group. Right. You know, I think one of the early records that gave us a nod to the DJ was Girls Love the Way He Spins. 
DJs want to be like him. Mm-hmm. You know, they were giving a nod to the DJ. But all the time that they spent cutting their teeth learning how to do this, Grandmaster Flash always been on the wheels behind them. And then all of a sudden they're in the studio and Grandmaster Flash is not supplying the music. Right. Right. I think um, there have been certain records that came out back in the day that will give you a good feel of how DJs used to do it. One is uh, The Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel. It was a 12-inch <clears throat> single, and it's Grandmaster Flash just cutting the records the way that he would do it live. So he, he writes uh, Good Times, uh, Apache, um, Blondie, Rapture, uh, Fat Five Friends, DJ Spinner said, My, my, Flash is fast, Flash is fast. Flashes fast. He's cutting the records up, and it's on wax. And you get to hear a DJ doing it the way that it was done back in the day. If you ever want to know, listen to Grandmaster Flash, Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Another one is um, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince um, on the He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper album. Right. Live. They they recorded them rocking the show live. And you can hear Jazzy Jeff on the wheels. You hear Fresh Prince hyping it up. And they got a show going. And you know, telling Jazzy Jeff, transform. He's killing it. Right. But it's all records that it's not their records. Mm-hmm. Other people's records. But being performed in the true hip hop fashion, you know what I'm saying, and you know, up until 19, like this is, those are only two records I could think of that really, that really showed you the true essence of how it used to get down. Right. So it it probably cost a lot of money to make those records, to clear all those samples. Well, back then you didn't. You know, you that was a an afterthought because I, the first time I heard of somebody really getting sued for using, like, you know, this is pre-samples. So even those performances, uh, Grandmaster Flash and Jazzy Jeff, weren't necessarily samples. They were live, you know, it's the DJ on the wheels cutting up other people's records, but Grandmaster Flash made a new song out of about, you know, out of a whole bunch of other records. Right. <clears throat> and Jazzy Jeff is the performance live. I think another one is on Run DMC Live at the Fun House. You know, I, that's a really good one because you get Jam Master J cutting up Billy Squire, Big Beat. I got the big beat. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we, here we, here we go. That is the essence of original hip hop. You know, you want to hear what it sound like, what it used to be before everything went on wax. Listen to those three records. You hear MCs, you hear the DJ, you know, three different examples. Like Run DMC rapping with Grandmaster uh, Jam Master J, providing the soundtrack. Right. You can hear Grandmaster Flash just cutting it up with no MCs, just doing his thing. And you can hear what it sounds like when it's just the DJ getting busy with the MC hyping it up and they working together off each other with, with Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Right. And <clears throat> and for a little while, the DJ was involved by the hooks of the songs instead of you just saying something over and over again. The hook was the time for the DJ to get his shine. Or the intro. <clears throat> you listen to um mm, let's take um uh, Nobody Beats the Biz. Right. Dun, dun. He's Biz Marquee. That's uh from from Biz Marquee and Shantae. Mm-hmm. But Marley Marjorie, he's Biz Marquee. He's Biz Marquee. Right. The star of the show. He's Biz Marquee. 
Mr. Dynamite, So Fresh, all oh, that's from another record. Right. But that's the DJ doing his thing. And the, the part in between the rapping was when the DJ used to get his shine on. Right. And, you know, back in the day, you're talking about the 80s, even though the DJ's not providing the soundtrack anymore, the DJ was prominent on all the records. And the DJ was still still got top billing in a lot of cases. Okay. You know, like I said, it was Eric being Rock M. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. It wasn't Rock M and Eric B. Mm-hmm. And that's that speaks to how important the DJ was. When you listen to those records, you know, you don't think about Eric B being the legend, you think about Rock M being the legend. But Rock M was Eric B's MC. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day. Right, right. And the way they built songs back in the day, they built them for DJs to play and let them grooves rock before the rap came on. Like everything had a, you know, eight to 16 bars of just beat. And any DJ worth his salt never just put a record on and let it play straight through. You put it on and you bring that intro back two, three times. You know, sometimes you can let, if it's hype enough, you can let it rock for a minute and a half, two minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to listen to, um, it was a, a station called 97.7 down in Kenston. They used to go live from the club in the early 80s and when Billie Jean was out. Like, you know, at the club, Billie Jean comes on. <laughs> Man, what DJ ain't going to turn around and play that part again? Right. Yeah. <laughs> For about three minutes. Yeah. Before you get a doom, 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 doom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. But just that drum beat. Yeah. Like, people used to get hype off the beat, the drums. Right. And that's that's a leftover aspect of the early days of the, the breakbeat era. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So instead of taking a song that, and then finding that part of the song, now you're sampling and you're just sampling that part of the song. So the natural leftover from that era is to keep that part going. Right. And eventually you get where we are today. The song come on and just get straight to rapping. Mm-hmm. Right, nobody lets the beat ride anymore. Right, everything two minutes and less. Yeah, two minutes song. Right, but that that speaks to phasing the DJ out of hip hop. Hmm. When the pioneers of hip hop are DJs, right? Now, do you think that's because of um, commercializing hip hop, or was this some kind of plan? Well, I think a lot of it had to do with. Um, with how expensive it became to, like, some of the most creative songs that involved a DJ in the early days of hip-hop yes. were pre, were before people wanted every last dime for every last sample. Right, yeah. So you can't do that anymore. So it's, it's part, you know, it's, part of it is just because it's not practical from a, from a financial standpoint. I mean, it's kind of hard. Like, you think about, um, you remember Gangstar's first album? It had uh, Premier, DJ Premier's in deep concentration. Right. So many samples that he's cutting up in there, you know, even though it's not using a sampler, he's cutting up so many different records. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. C got a master plan. You're getting ready to move your body. Oh, 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 oh. Man, that's $40,000 right there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> He's a sample Stevie Wonder. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, like, it's so many different. And he does this over and over again. Like, De La Soul had a joint. Man, De La Soul's first album right. would cost him $2 million to put that out right now. <laughs> you know, think about it. Like, um, it had a, a joint called Cool Breeze on the Rocks. Mm-hmm. And... You just put together all the little references to rock, you know. And so that's so many different pieces of different songs. Right. 
every artist that had a hand in that is going to have their hand out. Like, yo. And I know back in the day when we were putting, trying to put records out, you know, a sample was $10,000. Easy. And that was early 90s. And that was just to borrow it. Yeah, just, just you know, each time you want to put something in there, it's another $10,000. Oh, Right, so that means you you want to cut up a little piece like um you know you just want to cut something from anybody's record. It's ten thousand dollars. You got to give them. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Right, right. Just to cut it up. Yeah. Like that's why you know Premier still involved. He's you know when he produces records, he still cuts stuff up. But if you notice, he went from cutting up other people's records to taking words out of whatever record they just created. Right. Now the technology has gotten to the point where you can do that, mm-hmm. and he can just cut, and he'll just cut up something that that was created by the artist, right? So you don't have to pay for samples. So you can't even get away with that kind of music. It's too expensive now, right? You know, you could pay a producer, or you could produce it yourself, and you don't pay anybody. Yeah. But, you know, some of the dopest music from that era that, that you really love was so full of samples and, and the cuts and scratches was so full of stuff that you had to pay for today that you cannot create that vibe again. It's mm-hmm. over. Like, even when Rappers Delight came out, they figured, hey, instead of just sampling or having the DJ cut up good times or have somebody play it, well, eventually they had to settle with, with Sheik. For good times, and they had to pay them. You right. see, like so. Even then, folks were coming after you, like, "Yo, I need my money for that." Absolutely, that's my baseline. I want my money. It's crazy you say that because um, um, Juicy J was giving an interview and he was talking about um his cadence. Mm-hmm. People pay him for his cadence, not because of his lyrics, but. The, the way he delivers, it sounds so similar to him. Really? They are paying for his cadence. And that's why you don't hear music from Juicy J as much because he's sitting back just walking to the mailbox. Wow. These checks coming in. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, I, I had no idea about that. But Juicy J is another one, man. They, like, um, you know, 3-6 Mafia. Mm-hmm. Use a lot of samples, right? Right. It's crazy, you know. And and you know, part of the essence of hip hop is getting good sample. Like since hip hop started, the DJ cutting up music from the, the songs that people loved anyway, mm-hmm. and then you turn it into hip hop with an MC over the 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 best part of the song, right? Of course, eventually you just sample the best part of the song, mm-hmm. and Three Six Mafia is extension of that. You know, you think mm-hmm. about um, I gotta stay fly. That's um, that's from uh, what is it? It's one of the movies, one of the black exploitation movies. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Is it they, they chock full of samples? Yeah, ghetto boys like the South. The South is is part of the sample, right? Thing too. Yes, but you know, eventually, like you know, there was paperwork had to be filled out. You know, somebody had to go talk to Isaac Hayes for for my mind playing tricks on me to happen. Another movie soundtrack. Three tough guys. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's crazy, and it was dope, but. You know, today, like back in the day, you just record the song and you let it ride until they find out that the sample's in there. But now all this software, man, as soon as you drop that sample, it comes out, man, the computer picked that up like, hey, uh, use your record over here. (laughs) (laughs) And you got to pay them immediately. Right, right. Before before it plays again. Yes. You ever notice you don't hear Feral Munch, Simon Says no more? Oh, because of the sample. Right. That was a cease and desist. They wouldn't even they sit to the table and even talk about it. Nah, that's Japanese. That was um that was from a Godzilla movie. Wow. And they're like, nah. <laughs> so, you know, now if you buy that record, that song don't sound like it used to. Mm-hmm. Hate Me Now by Nas. Right. Um, the original 
the original version that came out had the samples in it. Mm-hmm. What you will hear today, if you go pull it up on YouTube, is a replayed interpolation of all of that. You know, the original joint had the opera, the real sample. Okay. And the drums were sampled. Um, I know KRS used them drums. <laughs> But if you go back and listen to it, it's not sampled anymore. It's all replayed. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, you know, and eventually, the, so that took the cutting and scratching out of there, having to pay for every little thing you scratch. Mm-hmm. You know, you, the thing about how many times people scratch James Brown into a record. Ow! <laughs> right. You know, shoot, you got to keep paying James Brown $10,000, $20,000 every time you scratch up his voice, then, okay, it's time to stop. Time to stop scratching right. in the hooks because the song already costs this amount mm-hmm. to make. He gave you this amount to make the record. You know, he gave you an advance. You got to create the album with the advance. Hmm. And if you mess around and spend too much money on samples. Yeah. You know, and they weren't paying attention at first. And then Biz Markie came out with, um, was I Need a Haircut album? <laughs> yeah. And, man, the Turtles, the Turtles put it on them. Hit him hard. Yeah. Right. Yep. And from that point on, people were a little bit more careful about how they use samples. And eventually, they just kind of got phased out. You still have records that, you know, they have good samples here and there, but it's not the majority of the music the way that it used to be. Right, right. And, you know, now, I, when was the last time you heard a DJ scratch on a record? It's been a while. You you know, yeah. I, I really can't think of much recently that, that had a DJ on it. Right. You know? Hence why you don't really hear stuff from Premiere as much. Right, but like I said, he still produces music, but he cuts up what he uses to scratch is, is from the artist that he's producing a lot of times. Right. So that, you know, that bypasses the need to spend that extra money. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, his production was so sample-based that it's hard to, you know, it's hard to clear some stuff. You remember we were talking to Brandon D? Mm-hmm. And they sampled Billy Joel. Right. When I first heard that record and played it, you remember it's like a, whole year later before they finally got all the business taken care of to put it out on a national level. Remember Billy Joe had to not only pay, you know, not only had to pay Billy Joe, he had to approve of the final project. Right. Before he would give it the green light. Right. J. Cole went through that too. Um, on his, um, I think far as he'll drive. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson wouldn't let a lot of people sample his stuff. So when uh, SWV came out with right here, you mm-hmm. know that you can best believe Michael Jackson said, "Okay, oh, absolutely. That's that's that gives my stamp of of approval right there. Right. You know what I mean? But everybody don't use Michael Jackson samples. Mm-hmm. You know, because if he if he ain't feeling it, he ain't gonna let you get it. Right. So it's not a lot of stuff that sample Mike out there. He had some a whole lot of sample worthy stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And here we are today. Like, not only the music. Uh, another thing that that rappers used to do when they made their records, they designed the records not only for the DJ to cut up the intro. They would have little parts in every song that were designed for the DJ to hit over and over again. Right. Like, um, let's take Jack the Ripper by LL, for example. I made him play it, made him say it, made him okay it, made him obey it. Huh. <laughs> and the music stopped. He go, huh. That's, you can best believe it's like, this is a great place for the DJ to catch that. Huh, 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 huh. Right. You know? Right. Like, all that, it, it was designed for the DJ to get hold of it and get busy. Mm-hmm. Music ain't, isn't isn't produced for the DJ anymore. Right. But like I said, the sad thing about that is we talking about 50 years of hip hop and all the pioneers. When you, if you got to make a Mount Rushmore (laughs) of hip hop. Yes. It's DJs on it. Right. Has to be. 
And before right. you heard your first rap record, this thing been going on for damn near 10 years. And the DJ was a centerpiece. Hmm. And now, you know, like. Took a lot of food out of mouths. Took a whole lot of food out of mouths. Because I haven't been to a quote unquote club in a while, but last time I went to a club, like, the DJ just played music. Well, a lot of DJs still get busy in the club. Um, the the way that these programs are that you DJ with, uh, Serato, Scratch Live, all that, it make it easy to do the things, the work that DJs used to do back in the day. You right. Know, you like part of the reason that you had those intros on those songs was so it give you time to pull the other record out, put it on the turntable, get find the beginning of it. Scratch it again, mm-hmm. and then you can find the part where the words come, and you'll be ready to just start mixing the first verse. Right. But now you can jump straight into the straight into the the words and have the other record queued up in three seconds. So the just DJ, by hitting a button, the DJ and you, how you how do you feel about? It? I hate it. Yeah, and <laughs> so I was in the barbershop, and um, there's a guy in the barbershop that's um, a new DJ, uh-huh. and he was explaining this to one of the guys, and I was like, and he was, I'm talking about it like it's the best thing since sliced bread, and me not knowing that he was a new DJ, I said, oh, you're new. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it because it took me years to master the craft of, you know, drop a record on, and five seconds later, I can start it over right. with another record, mm-hmm. just like it, and moving back and forth and, and just being able to, to move from record to record. You know, I used to stack them behind the turntables. Like I'd say, okay, you know, I have one record playing. I'm thinking of my next 10 songs, okay. and I'm pulling those records out, and I would stack them behind the turntable in the order that I just want to pull them so I could – Pop, 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 pop. Right. And, and, you know, it's almost like playing an instrument mm-hmm. to be able to perform. Like, you know, you got a lot of people that want to learn how to play the piano or the guitar. But it's a couple of years before you can go on stage and play in a band. Right. And to DJ back in the day was like, you know, you had to practice until you were able to perform live. Without messing up. Right. And it was more than just knowing which records to play. You got to learn how to use that pitch control and and get them rocking at the same tempo so your blend sound right. You got to know how to go back to back without the record skipping on you Mm -hmm. when you scratch. So you're working on your touch. Right. You know, you can't be all ham-fisted and heavy-handed with the record and all of that stuff. And, um... And for me to have spent so much time developing that and then, you know, technology comes along and eliminates the need to learn all that. <laughs> right. Then, you know, it it was like a it was a, it was a stab in the gut for a little while, you know, because all of a sudden something that, that took me years to to hone. You can just hit a couple of buttons and do it immediately. Like, they got a button that'll match the beats. They got a button that'll bring the record back. Right. So, dude, sounding like what it took me years to sound like, you can just, I can teach my son how to do that. Right. In an hour. Right. Literally. You know, it'll sound like that, but it won't look like what it used to look like when I was doing it. hmm And, you know, back in the day, you would, Sit, you know, I remember DJing in the clubs back in the day. You had people just sit there and watch you work, right? Because that in itself was something to see, absolutely. You know, like it was, you know, it was little things I used to do. I know other DJs did too. You just add certain flair to your show. Like, I grab a record, I would, you know, flip it a certain way, let it spin. I spin it on my finger like a basketball sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then drop that joke, pow, right on the, you know. Right. And, it, you know, all that's the showmanship is Dang. is gone out of it. Right. So, you know, I didn't I didn't appreciate that. And then not to mention all the time it took to collect the records that I need to be a premier party rocker. I, I, 
you can have all the skill in the world, but you still got to have the records. Right. And that took time to collect. So, you know, I've, I've driven in I'm New York, Atlanta, picking up records where I'd be the only guy to have this record. Mm-hmm. And that makes my party different than your party. Right. Because when you come to my party, you're going to hear this record. You're not going to hear this at this dude's party. Mm-hmm. And overnight, everybody got my records. Right. It's just a hard drive. True. You know? <laughs> stuff is, you know, stuff that I had to dig for years to find, you know. Mm-hmm. I got two copies of sardines and pork and beans from a thrift store. Oh, wow. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Right, right. Like, you know, I'm always, always got my eyes open, you know. And so you could end up being a DJ, you know, like suppose you don't have sardines and pork and beans. Right. And nobody can give you a hard drive with it on there. You better go find that record. <laughs> and they stop printing that record after a certain amount of time. Right. Right. So, you know, these are things DJs had to go through. And that's uh, that was the growing pains. That was your initiation. Mm-hmm. You know, I started, you know, I started off with a crate and a half, two crates. Hmm. You know, now I got a... F- Shelves and shelves and shelves. I probably got 15,000 records still. Right. Right. You know? So, so yeah, DJing, they, they took, you know, DJing has taken a major hit. And, a lot, you know, they let anybody do it. But it's a lot of people who are good with the equipment today. Like, some people work the hell out of this thing, man. Right. You know? And I say more power to them. Things change. Mm-hmm. You know, but I know that if all this stuff disappeared tomorrow, you still got those records. I can rock a party. Right. Right. And ain't, ain't nothing going to stop over here, you know. Right. <laughs> I still got two turntables that play records. Okay. And I got records. And I could DJ for a month and a half, and you never hear the same song twice. Dope. You see what I mean? Right. But, you know. It'll probably never go back. I don't think it's going to go back. You know, you have people that, that want to do it for the nostalgia, the sake of nostalgia, but moving all that stuff, was it was a pain. Yes. You know, everything, like I've never had a regular car since since I've really been heavy into DJing. I can't imagine just having a four-door sedan. Right. You know, I can't do it. I okay. still can't do it, even though the, the, the amount of equipment I need to DJ outside of the speakers is smaller, but I still carry, you know, sound system sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, especially now this stage of DJing I'm at, I've concentrated more on building my sound system, right? Than I than I used to because I used to spend more time in the clubs, and I didn't have to have a sound system. But then I had to carry six crates of records when I went. Mm-hmm. You know, so that you know how many trips to the car that is, right? Back when and you forth. get there, right? You know, you find that's you lifting weights. Yeah, they're heavy. <laughs> you know, and you get two or three people in with you, they help out, right? But now, shoot, man, I see DJs walk in with everything in a book bag, <laughs> right? Laptop, <laughs> you know, I got my laptop <laughs> and a controller. Yes, you know, and I, I. You know, I got I got a controller, but if I'm, you know, that's that's only for the easiest of gigs. Okay. I wouldn't use it at any major function just because I've already spent years work, working at turntables, so that's why I'm most comfortable. Right. But but yeah, I, I hated to see the, the influence of the DJ go south like it has. You know, the, the turntable is an instrument. Right. And and it's you know, like I said, it's still some people who are pretty doggone good at 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 working this equipment today. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell who's good at it, but it's set up so that anybody can sound like an expert, right? You know, some people go out of their way to do the extra stuff though, buying different lights and stuff. <laughs> no, I mean just um no. you can even see, you know, some dudes work the hell out of them controllers. Yeah. You know? But um 
But yeah, back in the day, I you know, the the other DJs from from the earlier era were getting all that done with records. You know, this equipment's come a long way. Right. Like, shoot. The crossfader, the introduction of the crossfader. Like, you know, you used to have to turn knobs or use up and down faders to bring records in. You do your scratching up and down sometimes if you had that kind of mixer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I hate to see, I hate to see the state of DJing the way it is, though, because groups, hip hop groups, don't consist of a DJ anymore, right? And in the early days of hip hop, they could not exist without a DJ, right? And this is where we are. Shout out to the DJ. Yeah, one time for the DJ, man. That's, you know, so this is my my love note to the DJs. I salute you all. Right. We've been through a lot out here. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and it, you know, hip-hop is so still so young. It's just amazing to me how they've changed um, hip-hop. And it, you know, I hate to get on my conspiracy or soapbox, but it's like, it's so many other um, examples I can use, but this one is near and dear where our people was, you know, we didn't have much and we took and made it something and they've taken another, they've taken something else from it. To now, it's it's almost like hip hop itself. Like somebody asked me the other day, what's the difference between hip hop and rap music? And like I I answered the question, but when I really sat down and thought about it, it was like hip hop is like a dinosaur because so much has been taken away from the art form. Yeah, it's not it's not what it used to be. Like you know, it's just rap now. Yeah, it's just rap now. Yeah. And 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 just like every other art form, like the way that um <clears throat> I watched the Elvis movie the other day. <clears throat> okay. And Elvis made more money than Chuck Berry. Of course. <clears throat> more money than Lil Richard. Of course. More money than Big Mama Thornton. Right. Who sang Hound Dog. Mm-hmm. But the music he was singing was you know was black r and b for absolutely, so I see the same thing with djing when I look at djs like David Guetta and all these big cats um you know, yeah, filling stadiums, and it's about the d j right and and our djs don't get that kind of attention, don't make that kind of money, absolutely. You know, um, it's funny that you watched the Elvis movie that was made what three years ago, two years ago. Mm-hmm, it was recent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when they took R. Kelly's music down, and him and Elvis insane. <laughs> Elvis' wife was what thirteen. Oh no, nah, that was um, <laughs> that was Jerry Lee Lewis <coughs> and Elvis Presley too. No, nah, he didn't. His wife wasn't thirteen. Oh, I thought. No, nah, that, that was that was Jerry, Jerry Lee Lewis. Lewis. He married okay. his thirteen year old cousin. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But but he yeah he suffered greatly for that though. Like you yeah, know, like, like they, he he got canceled. Believe he got canceled back in the day when he showed up Jerry with thirteen year old wife that he's related to. But yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that did that did not fly. But um, but yeah, the the same thing that that Elvis was able to do with black music. Yeah, I see techno DJs able to do today like they standing there DJing for stadiums full of people you know it's 10,000 people at an event right waiting to to rock out to a DJ and that's something you know that that opportunity was never afforded to cool hurt right or Africa Bambada or Grandmaster Flash you know mm-hmm. just for them to to stand on the stage and have people you know, when that's, you know, even though they're not playing hip-hop, right. it's a DJ. It's still the same, yeah. And they're DJing. Right. And the crowd is yeah, is at their mercy. And that, 
that in itself, you know, and when you think about it, that's something that that we didn't get the opportunity to capitalize on. Right. I remember uh, Waka Flocka um, did the album, went on tour with the EDM DJ, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how <coughs> how big those crowds were. Right, not and they're because, following the DJ. Yeah, not because Waka Flocka was Calvin there. Harris and all these Man. cats. Like they're they're multimillionaires. Right, and and they're just going back and forth playing playing records. Sometimes it's stuff they produce, but. Mm-hmm. You know, how come Premier didn't get the opportunity? Hmm. Right. Right. It's the same thing that happened with jazz and rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when you think about it, Elvis is the king of rock and roll and not Chuck <laughs> Berry and Little Richard. Right. You see what I mean? Right. And, you know. Same thing with the blues now. When you go to a blues club, you know, it's not us sitting out there enjoying the blues anymore. Right. But these are, you know, these are art forms that we created. Mm. Well, that's what we wanted, right? (laughs) (laughs) So it's not just I. I I think I would prefer to be the dude standing up there DJing (laughs) for 10,000 people. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's right. I'm not saying these dudes aren't good at what they do, but you got to remember, like where even the idea of the DJ being that popular came from, mm-hmm. hip hop. Yes, yes. People came to the clubs because of the DJ. People came to the shows to hit MCs because of the DJ. Right. And now, you know, DJing has elevated to its highest point. And people making millions of dollars, and it's none of the people that started the essence of the DJ as the centerpiece. Absolutely. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> hey, that's, hey, that's all I got to say tonight, guys. Monetize however you can. And next time we invent something, we got to figure out how to keep it in the family. <laughs> is it possible I don't know <laughs> but there's you know it's never over because there's always going to be something else is coming absolutely there'll be something else now it's culture you know what I mean yeah there will be something else right so monetize people and one time for the DJ I'm Capital J, your host. It's Capital City Podcast. Alongside my main man, DL Glass. And we'll see y'all next time.